What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Keeping Stock. This week, we're going to take a look at industrial espionage, drugs, and counterfeit sneakers. But before we get into part one, I just wanted to remind you, Keeping Stock is uploaded every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. So if you've been interested in sneakers for a long amount of time, you're probably aware of counterfeit, fake, replica, unauthorized sneakers. And in the early 2000s into today, counterfeit sneakers have continuously grown and gotten better and better. For a while, you could tell the difference between a fake sneaker and an authentic sneaker. You had Air Force Ones in random SpongeBob colorways, translucent uppers. You had Things are just a completely different shade of a color, different materials. The fitting was awful. They smelled different. And now, fake sneakers are getting harder and harder to tell the difference between the fake and the real pair. And so to understand where these fake sneakers are coming from, we have to go to China. And more specifically, the fake sneaker capital of the world, Putian. Putian is a provincial city of China. It has roughly a population of 3.5 to 3.6 million people. So, as you can imagine, there's a wide variety of activity happening in this area. But why are the most counterfeit sneakers coming from Butian? It's surprisingly simple. In the 1980s, when companies began to outsource their labor, Butian was the first pick. So, in the 1980s, Nike... Adidas, Puma, and more began manufacturing and distributing out of Putian, China. So now that you have established authentic manufacturers in the city and creating jobs for those people, as time goes on and the sneaker industry decides to grow to the level it's at today, people begin to see an opportunity to make money from those factories. And how do they do so? Why not just replicate the product, sell it for a lower price, and continue to grow? And essentially, that's what happened. When you look at a fake sneaker, to you and I in the sneaker industry, you may see a sneaker that's retailing for $200. But if you saw that same sneaker for $120, you might ask some questions. But to the average person who doesn't know nearly as much about sneakers as you and I may say, wow, I don't know why they're selling it for 200 when I can get this for $120. Further, their confidence is held by how similar these sneakers look online and before they get them in hand. And why do they look so similar? So, as we said in 1980, companies start establishing manufacturing in Putian. So once someone takes an opportunity, they can source the same materials they can source the same workers. And even more shocking on my end is that they use the same exact machines. In turn, you've created a half trillion dollar industry in counterfeit goods with footwear being the second category in that half trillion dollar industry right behind apparel and accessories. And with a population of 3.6 million people, you can imagine that there is some turnover 
in work. People are getting laid off. Things happen. They move from Nike to Adidas or some other sneaker manufacturing facility because that's what they've known for the past four years, five years, 10 years. So when someone sees the opportunity to employ workers in their counterfeit sneaker business, all they have to do is put up signs for hire. Sneaker manufacturers wanted, sneaker workers wanted, something of that nature. Then they rent a building that was formerly a authentic company's sneaker manufacturing center, rent that building, start bringing their employees in, start using those machines and create counterfeit sneakers. But how are they getting the design, the stitching, the print correct? Well, without access to the facilities, it's espionage. And it happens both on the counterfeit and authentic levels. So say you're walking down the street of Putian. Someone says, hey, I saw you leaving the Adidas factory. What's your price? And you say, what price for what? I need you to get me the blueprint for the sneaker you're working on. Or I need you to put a sneaker in the trash or throw a sneaker over the wall. Or I need you to lift a sample for me. And in areas of Putian where poverty is extreme, people will take those offers. Hey, if they get fired, they can move on to the next manufacturer. And this was the early 2000s that this was occurring. More of a person-to-person trust and relationship built to get these sneakers. And so when someone would lift a sample, throw a sneaker over the wall, the owner of that counterfeit business would take that sneaker back to their workshop and deconstruct the sneaker. While deconstructing, they look at the stitching, they look at all the minute details, the materials, the color, and from there, they would give this to their workers and say, we are going to replicate this sneaker. And some of those workers who may have been working their whole entire life in sneaker manufacture and sneaker assembly already know how to put together sneakers from certain brands or understands the nuances to put it together and create this sneaker. So he, the counterfeit owner utilizes this education to make as close to possible replica of the shoe. And I mentioned earlier how this also works on the actual business level. The same thing, if you are working at company A and company A wants to know what's going on at company B and C in the area, maybe they bribe the employees, maybe they hire an employee from one of those areas and get that information to understand what may be coming out and what is in the pipeline, or maybe the materials being utilized to get a better understanding. Once again, early 2000s. And so when these counterfeit owners now have the sneaker early, what would happen? More often than not, these replica, counterfeit, fake, unauthorized pairs would end up in the retail market before the real version. So they would take these sneakers, make them as quick as possible, put a photo online, sell it in their local markets, local barter areas, and there's the sneaker and people could buy it. So if you're unknowingly a citizen in the US or Europe or browsing for incredible deals and you came across 
a colorway of an Air Force One that you weren't familiar with or just looked cool with you, you could buy that. And then you could see Nike advertising it maybe two months later. And that's how the spread and how quick counterfeit sneaker manufacturers can infiltrate the game. And so those early pairs weren't great. Most of us could identify a fake pair pretty pretty easy. Did Jordan have butt cheeks? Was the Nike sign a check mark? Was the color way off? Materials? Terrible. Glue everywhere. Things like that were pretty noticeable to the eye. But then, sneaker businesses such as Nike, Adidas, Puma, New Balance, Under Armour, etc. tightened up security. And so where did these counterfeit manufacturers start getting information from? The internet. One of the most powerful resources known to man. They'd go on Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, etc. to see people posting reviews of sneakers, early access of sneakers, little hidden details of the sneakers, and find out much more information. Though they wouldn't be first in market, they'd make a superior product to what the counterfeiters were producing before to something that was almost spot on with original pairs. In addition, they'd look at people who are exposing fake sneakers. An example, you look at Yeezy Busta, who's done a great job of trying to help the sneaker community point out common flaws in Yeezys, the hidden details to look for, to make sure that the buyer feels more confident purchasing their sneaker from a secondary or third party. However, those counterfeiters are also utilizing those videos to make their product better. Further, it becomes easier and easier with each draft as more and more colorways of the same model are coming out. So you look at the Jordan 1, you look at the Yeezy 350, where we've seen 50, 60, 70 colorways come out of those models in the past couple years. Maybe that first model wasn't great and they got exposed. Second model, a little bit better. Third model, change it a bit more, fourth model, et cetera, et cetera, to where they've almost nailed it, and it's damn near impossible to tell the difference. And that's where you'll see those who are experts in spotting fakes can get in trouble because it's changing so quickly. They're learning from their mistakes. They're learning from those who have exposed them. However, there's one more facet that helps create fake sneakers, and that's their customers. Because someone who, say they're knowingly buying fake sneakers, or they're just conscious about the quality of their product, order a pair of fake Yeezys, human races, Jordan 1s, and are looking at it, and are saying, I'm returning this product because this stitching is awful, this glue is terrible, this color seems off, X, Y, and Z. Then, once again, the counterfeiter takes that criticism and implements it into their next batch of shoes. So when you look at the overall process of how fakes are made, they have experienced workers who they hire under the guise of, you're gonna be working for a sneaker manufacturer company. They have no clue that it is making counterfeits. They just know making sneakers. And in some cases, those companies can share a building or a floor or be a few floors under an authentic business in some cases. They use the same materials or source the same materials. 
They're using the same machines. Maybe is a year or two outdated, but it's very, very similar. They've scalped blueprints, early pairs, utilized the internet for photos and criticisms, and then they rely on their customers, and that's how a fake product is made. And it may be easy to think, okay, that's how a fake product is made. Why can't they just shut it down? They do. They raid these facilities all the time. However, it's more of a show because you raid this facility, great, you got one guy. Take him out of there, take his employees out. Keep They keep the machines there, they keep the space open. Someone else rents it out, does the same thing, utilizes the same machines. It's all a continuous cycle. And further, intellectual property hasn't really been enforced strongly in China when it comes with foreign pieces of intellectual property. Because essentially you have to have someone who is looking for these counterfeit and fake items on a daily basis and then put in the work to find these operations and shut them down. And so that's where you see where Michael Jordan finally wins his lawsuit after eight years battling Kiaudan, which translates to Jordan. And for eight years, they battled in court to understand if they were taking his likeness, his trademarks, his copyrights, and abusing them. And at first, Jordan lost. And then with a counter lawsuit, finally won, because they were utilizing the exact same silhouettes, apparel. The logo was very, very similar. And they're using his likeness to sell products. And that's when things start getting interesting, is the raids, finding the intellectual property that's being abused, finding the products that are being abused. Further, understanding how counterfeit sneakers aren't just about sneakers, and in some cases, drugs are involved and exporting this internationally, creating a half billion dollar industry. But for now, that's part one of how fake sneakers are made. In part two, we'll go into the international distribution and transportation of fake sneakers and one of the biggest busts that very few people heard about. However, I hope you guys enjoyed this segment of today's episode. Part two will be coming out shortly after. But for now, let's hop into cool content. If you like what you've heard so far, make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram at keeping stock and Twitter at keeping underscore stock. Further, social media is always found in the show notes and other cool things that are going on with the Keeping Stock podcast. But the best place to find that is going to be following us on Instagram and Twitter. Without further ado, let's get back to the show. So for this week's cool content has to be one thing and one thing only. The Last Dance, airing on ESPN and ESPN2 for the next five Sundays, going over Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And it's something I'm excited for, hoping it gives us some new insight from a player level that the media may have missed or misspeculated over time, and also hearing from the man himself. The one thing this has brought up recently that I'm personally not a fan of is I'm, for the longest time, I've been over the debate between Jordan, Kobe, rest in peace, and LeBron, and the greatest of all time. Because simply, you're never going to have a definitive answer. Because the game Jordan was playing is drastically different than the game LeBron's playing. The game Kobe was playing, drastically different. 
their styles of play. Some may be more similar, but still different. Competition's different. Money's different. International market's different. Everything you can think of is different. And people want to argue, no, it's the same. Then why isn't Bill Russell in your conversation? Oh, well, it's different. He played at a different time. Uh, That's the exact same thing here. So I'm hoping at least, you know, this is a a fun time to learn about the Bulls and things people may have not known before. You know, I'll probably avoid all MJ, LeBron, Kobe, GOAT conversations and just get the pure entertainment and information out of it. But I do look forward to, once again, seeing the things that we didn't see in the media over time or the stories that haven't been told. And that comes out, if you're listening today, on Sunday the 19th of April, First episode comes out today. ESPN2 is airing the censored version. ESPN is airing the raw version with a variety of F-bombs, as ESPN says. And then the following four weekends, another episode will come out. So hopefully that's some good quarantine viewing for you guys. And I'll be there right alongside to watch. So now let's get into upcoming releases. So upcoming releases for April 19th through April 25th, Sunday through Saturday. We see coming out on the 20th, 420, Nike SB Dunk High, Reverse Skunk. The internet's been loving this sneaker. They love the original, couldn't get their hands on, and more likely than not, won't get their hands on this pair. Retails for $100. It's reverse of the original SB Dunk High Skunk. So where it was green is now purple. It is very limited. Uh, some say friends and family only. Some say only, you know, if not, maybe a couple thousand pairs, if that. But if you get your hands on it and you're going to rock the sneaker, great for you. Then we have on the 23rd, the Jordan Why Not 0.3 Black Cement. Russell Westbrook's signature sneaker. Uh, great on court shoe, I'm sure. I haven't worn it. Um, don't know about it casually, but black cement colorway stays minimal. Um, exciting classic in the sneaker culture. And that's going to be $130. Then we see the Nike Kyrie 6 USA, which would have been a great colorway, except for the Olympics aren't happening any longer, which is unfortunate. I'm sure a lot of retail or athletic companies such as Nike, Adidas, etc., are bummed and they're going to be missing out on quite a bit of revenue from the Olympics being canceled. We see the Nike KD-13 Chill. Uh, KD-13, I still have to see it in hands, but right now I'm leaning towards just not for me. don't really like the silhouette. looks kind of boxy um, and clunky to me. Even though I tried on ID to find a colorway, just couldn't do it. But that comes out on the 24th. On the 25th, we see the Nike Air Fear of God 1 Triple Black for $350. bucks. i will make an attempt at these. I've tried it all the Fear of God so far. Haven't gotten lucky. I think it is a unique and abstract sneaker. Um, looks comfortable. I like the lines. I like the the minimalism and the color blocking. So we'll give a try for that. And then there's a rumor that the Yeezy 700 Moonvin, Moonvan, Minivan, Minivan, Minimalism, uh, whatever you want to call them, they're supposed to be coming out uh, the 24th and 25th as well. And that will be in the phosphor and bone colorway. Um, not my cup of tea for these 700s. Once again, I tried for the Alvas, but 
uh, not doing it for me. So if you get your hands on them, great. I wish you the best of luck because that's going to be a nightmare um, with stimulus checks and everyone who lost out on the DMP6s that came out. So with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow the podcast and leave a rating if you haven't yet, and I'll catch you next Sunday.